Shavua Tov. Um, it just happened to work out this way. We were in Perik Yud Aleph on the Kiyot. Uh We spoke about, on Friday, we spoke about uh, the problems with financing. And then we spoke about the problems with promiscuity. Uh, the third of the major issues that uh, Ramchal talks about before going into a number of other issues is, funnily enough, on a fast day, is food. Um, so it's uh, quite relevant to think uh, about the problems we have regarding food. Now remember again, we're not, we're, we're talking about the weeds here and, and not, not just controlling but uprooting problems, fundamental problems. Uh, when it comes to food. So obviously, if we're at the stage of Nikiyot, and we're in chapter 11, we're not talking about eating at McDonald's. Um, but he gives an example. If we're talking about trefers, or whether we're talking about uh, mixed things when an iso is, is inside something. There's a lot of things here. Remember, one of the parts of Nikiyot is actually knowing the halacha. I know what you can and what you cannot do uh, down to the, uh, the nitty-gritty details. When it comes to food, we need dikduk and we need chizuk. Because we're hungry and we're attracted to certain foods and... Uh, if you if you go Lemahadrin in certain areas, it's going to cost you more money, and um, as Ramchal will himself point out, uh, you can't simply say what many people say. You know, we talk about rationale with with Nikiut, that it's that it's just all politics and it's all it's all cheating and uh, and high prices in kashrus for good kashrus is a farce. Uh, it's not exactly true. Again, I cannot speak for America, for England, for Europe, I, I, but I can tell you certain facts that I know about in Israel. Um, let me give you an example to start with. One of the examples that, that I always like to give is when we talk about uh, Mahadrin Shmura Matzah on Pesach. Uh, in Israel, uh, again, if you're buying a box of two kilo or whatever, uh, you could either buy a a box for 33 shekel, or you can buy a Mahadrin Shmuramatsa box for 100 shekel. That's an enormous difference. So people immediately say it's extortionate, they're trying to cheat, there's no need to do such a thing. Well, it's not exactly correct. Um, and I have this on good authority. What happens with Mahadrin Matzas in Israel? As we know, because at some stage, even either with the Midrashah or in high school, we all visited in our lives a matzah factory. Now, we know the basic rule of making matzah is that once you have added water to the flour, you cannot leave the dough unattended for 18 minutes. If you do, it becomes chametz. And of course, the most common and uh, obvious problem on Pesach is chametz of matzah, right? Because, because, because fundamentally matzah, in order to be yotze on matzah on Pesach, it has to have the um, ingredients that could become chametz. Otherwise, it's, it's not halachic. It's not halachic matzah. 
and therefore that, that's why uh, of, of, that's why we never make matzah on Pesach, right? Because because it's can so easily become chametz. Uh, no one makes matzah on Pesach. All the matzah is bought before Pesach, or you can buy it from a shop, but it's made before Pesach. It's not made on Pesach. So what happens in, what happens in a Mahadrin factory that justifies the, the price being three times as much? Um, this is what happens. Uh, and I have this on authority. Uh, as we know, as I just said, if you, if you mix water and flour together and you leave it for 18 minutes, then uh, it becomes chamez. So everyone's mukpit on that, right? Because otherwise it's not kosher, the matzah. However, uh, machine-made matzah uh, goes through a machine. Now, it, it's fair to assume, and it's actually true, it's a fact that as this uh, dough goes through the machine, bits of the dough get left inside the machine. What does that mean? That means that those bits of dough, after 18 minutes, become chametz. That means that there's chametz inside the machine. Now, it's not a, a halachic problem uh, vis-à-vis the matzah per se. Why? Because it's battle b'shishim. Even though chametz is not battle on Pesach, before Pesach it's battle b'shishim. And that's why, uh, that's why no matzah is made on Pesach, right? So, halachically speaking, the matzah is kosher. But what do they do in Mahadrin? Factories in Mahadrin factories every 18 minutes they stop the machinery, they dismantle the machinery, they clean all the machinery, and then they start again. So, if one understands that that's what they're doing, one does understand that it's going to cost more. There's a far more amount of work involved in making matzah Mahadrin, and therefore it costs a lot more money. Um, People say Mahadrins in every different area are a waste of time. It's actually not true. Uh, you have these yogurts, which are very, very tasty yogurts in Israel. They're like the Muller yogurts. Uh, a, a yogurt that, and I, I, I only know basics here, but uh, a yogurt that, that is not, not flowing, but is a solid type of yogurt, like a mousse type yogurt, uh, I'm told that in order to make it uh, uh, stand uh, in the way that it stands, one needs to add gelatine. Now, as you know, gelatine is a big sugya in halacha, and uh, the sugya is really about gelatine comes from pig. The discussion in halacha is that before it, it, is, it is transitioned from being pig, puto kamashma, to gelatine, it goes through a, a, a process where in the middle of it, it becomes inedible. Here there is a machloket amongst the poskim. If something begins as a davar asur, uh, then becomes inedible, and then becomes edible again, does it revert to its original status, i.e. is it still pig, or is it something new? And therefore it's totally kosher. And many, many post-gamer of the opinion that gelatine is, is still under the category of pig, and therefore they have to put a different gelatine, or a fish gelatine, or a, a different type of ma'amid uh, uh, in order to make the yogurt what it is. Therefore, it costs more money. If you're talking about milking cows, and what about mahadrin milk in Israel? Okay, so why is there mahadrin milk in Israel? So milk is milk. You're correct, milk is milk. Now, halakhically speaking, you are allowed to milk a cow on Shabbos because it's sabalichai. Right? A, a cow... Uh, produces milk based on however much milk it gives. And therefore, the more a cow is milked, the more milk it will produce. That means that a cow, I used to work in a refet in, in Israel when I lived on kibbutz, a cow 
will be milked three times a day and on certain occasions can give up to 20 litres of milk per milking. What does this mean? It means that um, after having been milked eight hours later when the cow needs to be milked again, the cow is actually in pain. Its udder is like a balloon about to burst and I remember very clearly how cows, when it came near to milking time, would be walking towards the milk shed um, because they're in pain. So means that you can milk a cow, even though it is an Av Malacha to milk a cow, you can milk the cow because of Tzab The problem is whether you can keep the milk or not. So there are two possibilities here. Either the Goyim do it, or the milk that you drink is not milk that was milked on Shabbos. But that's what the Mahadrin is in milk. Uh, and so as you go through e- each thing in, in Kashrut, there is a justified uh, reason for a Mahadrin. I have no doubts that there are some people in some places that take advantage of this, but, but to simply push aside the notion of Mahadrin and say that it's all a farce it, it is simply not true. I'll give you another example. Uh, again, I apologize here to vegetarians. Um, we don't shecht chickens uh, one by one like they did in the old, in, in the old home, right? In, in, in Eastern Europe, I even saw this once when I was visiting Russia in, in the early 80s. I was in Kishinev, sorry, the Ukraine, and uh, a woman brought her chicken to the shechet, and the shechet shechted her chicken. One chicken, one shecht. That was it. That's not how it works today. Today it's industrialized, and you have slaughterhouses, and what happens is that uh, these slaughterhouses aren't necessarily run by religious people. They have obviously hashgacha. However, and this again, I have on clear information that uh, in, in a re- and I'm, the actual numbers, I'm giving you just the Saberita Ozen as an example. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but just so you understand the notion. Um, I went to one of these places when I was learning smicha. In my first years of smicha, I went with my Rebbe and a few of the Talmudim. We went to a slaughterhouse in Kirat Malachi. And uh, there was this, uh, there was this, um, this moving belt where the, the chickens were on. The shochet was standing at the end of the belt. The chicken came, he grabbed the chicken, shechted it, and it dropped to the floor. I didn't even realize he shechted the chicken. It was happening so quickly. Later on, I was told, uh, again by, by uh, reliable sources, that there's a kind of competition in shechting. How many can you shecht in a minute? Can you share 15 a minute? Can you share 30 in a minute? More than that, there is demand in certain slaughterhouses that their shoichtim keep to a certain rate of shechita per minute. Now, you know the difference between a, a kosher shechita and a, a non-kosher shechita is a hairbreadth, is whether you manage cut enough. That's uh, How can you possibly tell if you're trying to do so many shechitas in a minute? Now, mahadrin limit the amount of shechitas per minute. Now, obviously, there's a much better chance of the shechita being a kosher shechita if the amount of shechitas per minute are being limited. It makes a, a lot of sense for someone to be makpid on, uh, on a mahadrin chicken. Right? When you see the speed, of that, and again, if you ever do this, uh, I wouldn't do this if you're a vegetarian, maybe if you do this, you'll become vegetarian, but... Uh, but either way, the speed at which they do shechita is so quick, it's so e- and it can't be checked afterwards, right? Because 
the chickens they run around a bit and then they just drop dead and it's very very hard to start checking all the chickens uh, and therefore the reason there's a mahadrin there is because there's a limit on the amount of shechitas there are a lot of other reasons for the mahadrin as well I just wanted to give you a few examples to show that, that you're, you're monk pit about the stuff you put in your mouth this, is, this, is, this isn't an, an iso which is happening on the outside of your body this is iso that is going inside of your body all of you who are in Israel remember the, the various chocolates in Israel uh, the kifkaf and the uh, uh, and uh, all the different chocolates that Strauss used to make. About three or four months ago, I'm sure you're aware of this, maybe it was just after Pesach or just before Pesach, um, they had a salmonella incident with, uh, with Strauss. We have not seen those chocolates since. I don't know whether the company is going to go bankrupt, I don't know how they're covering this, but, but for months in Israel, these chocolates have not been on the shelves. And now I, I'm pretty sure that it's not a 60% level of salmonella. There were, there were a number of cases and they withdrew all of the food off the shelves. You can't find them anywhere in Israel. If you have them, they're, from, they're predated. They must be predated. And the same happened, by the way, it was for a much shorter period with thermocall flakes in Israel a couple of years ago. Uh, they found a, a, a trace of salmonella in the cornflakes and they came off the shelves. Uh, what Ramcha will say to us here, I don't understand. If, if something has a suffix of a suffix of whether it's going to give you food poisoning, it goes off the shelves. You have a suffix of a suffix if something's kosher, you're going to eat it? You're going to put food in your mouth and you're not sure? Now, I know people make fun of this, but, but I, I don't think it's... Uh, it, you know, I think badats hechsherim, the proper badats hechsherim, uh, are very important. You should know as well that badats hechsher is always a second hechsher. Meaning, if, if you have a, a product in Israel that has badats on it, but there's not, there's not an initial hersha from the local rabbanot or from rabbanot Israel, then it's not a badats hersha. It, it's not true. It's the same when you go into a store. It, it's quite incredible. You know, we go to restaurants, people go to restaurants on a regular basis, and although uh, most of the restaurants that are kosher that we go to are either chalavi or either basari, so the likelihood of there being basar b'chalav is, is minimal, but there are other issues. You know, when we were young and there weren't so many kosher restaurants in London, so people used to speak about, well, you can go to a vegetarian, you go to a fish restaurant, everything's okay. It's not meat and it's not milk, so it's not a problem. That's not the only problem in kashras, right? It really isn't. You have to checking vegetables is, is an issue. Where the vegetables are coming from is an issue. A hashgacha on the, on the uh, cook is, is an issue. All of these things are very, very important. And then I have some, some shocking information for you, which is just from personal experience. But, but this actually happened to me when I was about... I suppose 20 years old, I was asked by Ben Akiva in England to go on a weekend. It was a, it was a very, very complex weekend. It was an inter-youth movement weekend, which meant, I don't think it was a weekend. I think it, I think it, was, it was a seminar during the week. It was to prepare 12th graders uh, for, uh, for Hadracha, for, for becoming Madrachim, for becoming counsellors. And Ben Akiva was was bound to go. We, we had to go because it was part of the youth and Hechalut system. It was part of the, uh, of the Sochnut, the Jewish agency, and part of our, our uh, funds that we were provided by, by the Jewish agency were based on the fact that we would take part in a number of obligatory uh, uh, seminars. And this was one of them. We had to take our oldest kids 
um, 17 year olds I think it was for three or four days into this environment uh, where there was Haponim and the reform and the liberals and, and FZY, Kolmine, all Jews, but, 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 but a very, very different uh, atmosphere and it took a lot of preparation. About three days before myself and, and the Madricha were going to go on this seminar with these kids, I got a phone call from a London-based inn and they said to me, maybe it was a week before, they said to me, uh, we understand that you're going to represent Bnei Kiva at this seminar. Um, our mashkiach has fallen through. Uh, would you mind coming to the based in? We will, we will give you the, the guidelines and at least you'll be there and you can be mashkiach over the caterer. Uh, so I said, okay, for sure, it's a learning thing. Obviously, uh, it's a bit scary when you think about it that they put, uh, didn't know so much, uh, and uh, they, they put me in charge of the kosher said, but it was a kosher caterer, and they said, we'll give you the guidelines, and you just have to know if something is out of place. So I went, and, and they said, okay, you will represent us, and they sent me there, and, and during meals, I was, I was there, and before the meals coming in and out, as the mashkir does. Uh, and something happened, right, because, because uh, Habonim draw is a left-wing movement, and by nature, a lot, a lot of its members are vegan, vegetarians, you know, whatever. And at the time, at least in B'nai Kiva, I was involved in almost everyone. There was carnivorous, right? Everyone, you know, they, they all ate meat. And in order to facilitate that, they had different hedre ochil. They had different rooms for eating uh, or different areas in a room for eating. I don't remember quite. I think it was different areas in a room for eating. One was basari, one was chalavi. But it needed a lot of concentration on my part because uh, people in Habonim who were very, very nice and very helpful would inadvertently take plates and mix them up. And we were eating basari and they were eating chalavi. So uh, I, I was in the kitchen uh, doing my mashkiach job and I noticed the caterer putting all of the dishes, the meat ones and the milk ones together in steaming hot water, pouring soap on and starting to wash up. Now, halakhically speaking, Maybe you can say because of the soap, it's not in time maybe the water wasn't hot enough. It's certainly not the katrina to be washing uh, meat and milk dishes together. And I happened to make a comment uh, to which the caterer gave me a mishaberach. He, he went crazy with me. He, he called me a lot of names and he says, what do you know? You know nothing. I've been doing this for 30 years. I have a certificate from the basin. So I said, OK, you know, I, I didn't get angry. I just said, I have no problem with what you say. But you understand, I do have to report this to the Beitin. And then he became extremely, extremely apologetic and, um, and uh, backed off. And then afterwards I asked myself, well, how many times does this happen? How, how many times does this happen when, when a mashkia uh, sees, uh, sees something and he's scared to say it? Or he, he, how, and we rely on mashkichim, right? You go into a, you go into a restaurant... And, uh, and you're reliant, really, on a mashkiach. When you cook at home, please God, when you're cooking in a home, you're a balabas, people come to eat in your house. They are somech lechalutin. They are totally somech on the fact that you know the laws of kashrut. You're putting food into people's mouths. It's an incredible responsibility. You know, when people come to a house, they don't, have to see, they don't ask to see your tudak kashrut. They don't ask to see... Uh, they don't ask to see uh, whether you're badats or you're not badats, what this is, what that is. They just sit down at your table and they eat. I remember once being in a, in a certain place and, uh, for Shabbos and they had an au pair. They had a, a non-Jewish woman who helped in the house. And the Baratabat, I wasn't even thinking, the Baratabat brought out some wine on Friday night and uh, she put it on the table. The wine was half full 
And there was another rabbi sitting at the table, a local rabbi, and the rabbi said, wait, wait, I mean, the way he did it, I didn't like so much because it quite embarrassed the balata bite, but he said, wait, 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 that, that wine, was it in your fridge? He said, yes. He said, did your, did your um, au pair clean the fridge this week? She said, yes. She said, well, take the wine away. I'm not touching that wine. It was a very embarrassing moment, but there's so many different things that we have to be aware of. People walk into our house. Now, people are very aware when it comes to Pesach, but, but there are laws of kasher outside of Pesach. And this notion just to walk into any restaurant uh, is, is, is not so partial. A shocking comment that Rav Mordechai Eliyahu made to my wife and a number of other young ladies, Zatzal, when, when, he, when he was uh, Rav Rashi and my wife was doing Sheh Lumi in Elat, uh, he quoted, he said to my wife, my wife quotes him very often as saying that he, he thinks that there's a problem with 50% of the Hechsherim in Israel. Klomar, that they are not fully, they're, they're not fully uh, kosher and you can't rely on the kashrut. And uh, that, that is a problem, right? When, when, when a Rav Rashi, when a chief rabbi says you can't necessarily rely on a hersha, that that's a problem. There's enormous responsibility here. And it's very, very important when you go to a place that, if you're in the Rova, for example, if you're in a place where the vast majority of customers are religious people, then the hersherim are going to be better. If you're in a place where the vast majority of people are, are not keeping kosher, then the hersherim are going to be less, less uh, makpid. So one has to keep an eye on. You can't just walk into a... So people say, had a hersher, it's not my problem. So when they say that to me, then I say the following. So let's think about this, okay? Let's say you walk into a restaurant and the restaurant has a health certificate on the door and you eat in the restaurant and you get food poisoning. So whose problem is it? I mean, the restaurant has a health certificate on the, they have, they have been stamped by the health authorities. You have food poisoning. You're throwing up, you're, you're in a hospital. It's your problem. It's not your fault, but it's your problem. Well, at least it's not entirely your fault, but, but you've gone into a restaurant which, which seems to be, have a clear bill of health. You've eaten something which was not good and you've become sick. You turn around to the, to the, to the propriety, says, it's not, I have a bill of health. it's not my problem. But it is your problem, because even though he had the certificate, you've got a very bad stomachache. So a person can't, you, we have this attitude when we walk into a restaurant, that, you know, it has a certificate, that, that's all I need to know, everything else is beside No, I don't think that's true. I think you have to keep your eyes open, you have to be aware, uh, and you have to notice things. You certainly can't eat in a restaurant just because a man with a black hat is sitting there in the restaurant. And when I mentioned it to the girls this year, a girl actually came up to me two or three days later and, and said to me, exactly that happened. She was in a restaurant. She saw a woman with the most gewaldic scheitel. She was eating in the restaurant. And, uh, and after a few minutes, the girl went up to the woman and said, did you see a tudor? I said, no, no, but I'm sure it's okay. So sometimes our hersher is based on the fact that we see a couple of front people sitting there and we think, well, they looked and, and maybe they looked at someone else and maybe they looked at someone else, but no one actually saw a tudor. You must be mukpid on these two doors. In fact, there was once in, in the Rova a falafel man who, um, very, very near the Rova, uh, very, very near the school, a lovely guy, a from guy. And uh, one day we realised that he hasn't got a tudor. And I went up to him and I said, do I have you got a tudor? He said, people, he got angry, he said, people should believe that I'm kosher, and if they don't want to believe that I'm kosher, I'd rather they didn't eat here. 
So I said to him, yeah, but I can't send my girls to, I can't send my girls to eating you just because you say you're kosher, because who says everyone else who says they're kosher is kosher? Even if I believe you, it's not a cloud that I can, uh, I can give over to the girls. So from then on, I tell the girls they can't eat in that restaurant. He hasn't got a hersha. I remember once uh, I took my uh, children, they, they were just about old enough to go to Yad Vashem, I took my two eldest children to Yad Vashem, Got, I, this might have been a one-off, but I got to the restaurant after I wanted to treat them to a lunch. We started getting the food together, went to pay, and I saw they had no tulda. And I said, what is this? And they gave me a reason. So I said, okay, forget it. We put all the food back and left. There's no tulda. You can't eat there. There's no certificate. You have to check the certificate and the level of the certificate and the level of the people doing the certificate. I learned this. If I didn't have it beforehand, I learned it from my wife. I, I was once on Tior with my wife in the area of Tiveria, and we, we went into, into the city to get, to get a bite to eat for lunch. And we passed three or four restaurants, and each one of them had a certificate that was out of date. And uh, well, I thought it was very, very strange. Now, they were all giving us the same reason. They were all saying there's a strike in, in the Moitzadatit, in, the, Rabbic, in, in, in the, the religious uh, council, and they're holding back all of, the, all of the certificates for the moment. So my wife said, well, what can we do? How do we know what they're telling is true? So my wife said, okay, we'll phone the chief rabbi of Tiberia, who, is, who was, of course, Rav Orbach, from Zaman's son, and, uh, and we'll ask him. So I'm, of course, very nervous. I'm not going to phone him. I'll just go and get some vegetables. I'm not going to bother the chief rabbi on this. It's not so... My wife said, what are you talking about? That's his job. So, she, so my wife looked up the number and she phoned. And she phoned, um, these were days of payphones, and she phoned the, the chief rabbi's house. He didn't answer, his wife answered. And my wife said, I have a question. She said, well, tell me, and I'll, I'll tell you if I know anything to do with it, because my husband is in the middle of a meeting or whatever. And, uh, and the rabbinit uh, confirmed this. There is a, there is a strike in the Moet Sahadatid. And I can tell you which restaurants my husband relies upon. Uh, but that statement in itself was worrying, right? Because there are other restaurants that have a hersha that, that he doesn't think are so, are so mukpit. And, and so this kashra thing, it, it's a big deal when it comes to food. And, and it includes both things that we've spoken about in the kiyot. On the one hand, it, 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 talking about not knowing the halacha, that people just don't know the halacha, right? People don't know to check rice. They don't know to check... Uh, uh, to check... Uh, Chita, barley, weed, whatever, they don't have to check of insects. Depending on the country you're in, it can be a really, really big problem. And if you give it to little kids to do and they don't do it properly, it's, 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 not, it's not a way to deal with it. So, so one, one is the, the knowledge to know what you have to look out for, to know what you have to check. If you're living in Israel, you have the added zechot of dealing with this year, Shemitah, in a regular truma to Masrod, Orla, uh, Kilaim, Kilaim, less, I suppose, but, 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 but you, you have to know, you have to be aware to ask at least, uh, to know that there's an issue, to know that there's something to look out for. So, so that, number one, that's part of the cure, right, is knowing the halacha. And number two is these rationales that we spoke about where people come along and say, no, nah, it's, nah, it, 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 it's, all, it's all a trick, it's all, they're all extortionism and so on and so forth. I cannot claim to or, or for or against whether there's extortionism. I'm sure some people raise their prices, but it is the same in every single thing. And, and when you go to buy a nice dress or a nice car, you will look for a brand name and you will pay extra. It is in economics, if any of you are studying economics, in my day they used to call this a status symbol. A status symbol uh, 
broke the laws of supply and demand, meaning people would buy something, the higher the price, the more people would buy it, like a Rolls Royce, like a Cadillac, in order to say they have a Rolls Royce or a Cadillac. This, this exists in, in trade bichlal in the world, that, that people are prepared to pay more when they know there's a brand name that is reliable. I think Badatz is reliable. I think in England, Kadassia is reliable. I don't know the Kashriot in, in, in America and Canada well enough to know. Uh, I, I do by OU, uh, but, but uh, there, there are Kashriot that you can rely on and the Kashriot that you never heard of before. And uh, so this is the third area of the cure that we have to work on, uh, the area dealing with, uh, dealing with food. So, so far we've done Gezel, Arayot and Ochel. Have a meaningful fast.